Welcome everyone to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and join me, who dat? It's it's somebody who has a name. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Daddy. No, I'm just talking to this guy I used to know. The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 107, Lotus Eaters, is brought to you by Cardamom Cookies, natural antidepressant, unnaturally delicious chemistry. Well, Pete, this is an episode where I'm glad we have those cardamom cookies because we have some stuff and some things to talk about in an episode that was, at the very least, unique. Let's step away from Cloak and Dagger and Nolans for just a moment to remind everybody we continue to podcast Luke Cage over on the Luke Cage podcast, and of course, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. And uh, we have uh, Ant-Man, of course, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed as well. Ant-Man and the Wasp, I should say properly. And, of course, all those Marvel movies over on our Marvel Movie Podcast feed. So if it's the MCU, we got you covered. All 20 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies every single hour of Marvel Cinematic Universe TV. It's been a while since I, I counted up the hours. We're over 200 now. Uh, we're over 100 on the Netflix side alone but fantastic geek is the only podcast to bring it all to you not oh we plan to do it at some point no it actually exists for every hour of marvel cinematic universe tv Yes, I think we're still a little sore about the time somebody took us to task and saying, you guys aren't the only ones. There's other podcasts that are going to do it. Well, Pete, here we are doing it. Can you please recap for us this latest episode of Cloak and Dagger? A timer dings on the Easy Bake Oven for a teenage Mina Hess, whose father looks on... The magic never seems to work because he's got leg of dog and not tongue of dog like it actually goes. But, hey, you know, this chemistry is delicious chemistry. But, Dad, you're not supposed to eat the cookie till you're at work. Hmm. Young Mina is awfully superstitious for someone who doesn't believe in magic. Well... He always comes home, and he will this time, too. But she thinks she's cracked the perfect cookie. What's in it? Oh, you'll have to figure it out for yourself. But it's not tongue of dog, is it? A copter ferries Ivan to the rig. What's the latest, Tommy? You know, status quo. The drills at 2,300 meters moving well. No shale. The temp did creep up to 150, but they're guessing it's going to come back down like it has before. But hey, did we install those conductive shielding tiles? What? They never came? They said huh. they told you. Uh, downstairs... Some guys are told to get to level three. We've got a female engineer named Sam that Ivan talks to. Hey, what's up with the shielding tiles? She was told they weren't coming at all. At all? And then some dude asks Ivan how his daughter is, because apparently everybody on this rig knows about his daughter. But he needs to speak to Nathan Bowen right now. He goes in the office. He looks at his cookie. He looks at instruments. Why is this taking so long to lights flash, klaxons blare, 
and he is suddenly in his chair humming catatonically as we head to the title card. After the title card, Tyrone asks Tandy what he should do. He's missed his shot. Dwayne saw it all happen. He is the one who could put Connors behind bars, and now he's dead, which is TV code for he's dead, given that the last time we saw him with O'Reilly, we weren't sure Dwayne is dead. But now we've been told, Matt, he's dead. Sorry, Dwayne. (laughs) Tandy uh, explains that her father used to say that our failures are the steps we climb. To what, Tyrone asks. Tandy doesn't know. But she informs there was a survivor of the rig, and she thinks he might be the key to clearing her father. And she knows it's the worst possible time, but she needs his help with a door. They sneak into the hospital uh, where a catatonic, not comatose, Ivan Hess awaits. Eight years ago, they pulled a dozen bodies off that rig that exploded, but only one was still alive. That explosion was the same thing that made Connors pull the trigger. And this survivor knows the truth. He is the only way to get justice. And they count to three and both use their powers Suddenly, they are inside the vision with the door. Uh, They can hear one another. They believe that Tyrone might be the key, given the dark energy that emanates from it. No idea what would happen. What's the worst that could happen? But Tyrone seems to absorb the dark energy, and they are taken to the rig where the klaxons blare. What's wrong with that guy? Don't worry. He can't see or hear you. We'll find out later he's one of the terrors and he swings an axe at them. So there are real costs within this vision, unlike what we've seen before. Tandy uses a light dagger to take him out. Clearly he saw them. The rules must be different here. They see another guy and they get out. But suddenly they're before Ivan. But is he Ivan? Or isn't he Ivan? Something new, something delightfully, incredibly, wonderfully new. And you talk. What a time to be alive as we go into the first act break. We return from the first act here with an important question. Ivan asks Tandy and Tyrone, are they there to kill him? They're not. They know who he is. He does not know who he is. He's me. He's him. He doesn't have a name. They explain who they are, and he says they must be very special to even have names because they're here, and here the phone rings, and then they have to hang up. But he's afraid he can't do anything about the klaxons. So many bells, but who wants to watch the game with him? It's very exciting. It's in the bottom of the 67th inning, Matt. They're tied at 1,382. They're halfway. Halfway to what, you ask? Well, to the end. The end of everything. Of all reality. Time, space, you, me. Those unpleasant sociopaths running through the halls. It all starts with the klaxons and then concludes with a bang. And we see a sign there, the old prototypical days without incident, 
that reads zero, but no one told them. Tandy tells Tyrone she thinks they're on the rig. How's that even possible? It's going to explode. They have a minute and 47 seconds here. Give or take zero seconds, Ivan explains. How can they stop this? Well, they can't, but they could if they got to the core room and hit the kill switch button, then closed all the shutoff valves. Where's that? Well, that's downstairs in the core, of course. They'll never get to it in time. It's positively impossible. What's going on with the workers? Well, Ty vanishes and then fights a lady with an axe. We get an explosion, not the big one where they'd be all dead, but there's a flash and silence. And suddenly we're back with Ivan again. Hey, Matt, what did the stag say to the doe? Hello, I'm a stag. I'm not one to brag, but I told you so. What always happens happened. They told, I'm sorry, Ivan told them this already. Um, and he admonishes them because for having names and being special, their intellects are in need of a polish. Tandy asks how many times this has repeated. He's tried, Ivan, counting, but as numbers approach 100,000, they become mush. They better go now because being ripped apart, well, it's quite unpleasant. They ask what happened here. Well, the initial boom was the energy expulsion. Uh, he calls the monsters terrors. The theory about the energy drilling that they're doing is that when the energy is improperly released, it infects the mind with pure fear. That fear then spreads and terrorizes. A minute later, the phone rings. There's an anger guy on the phone. 30 seconds after that is the first explosion. Big Bang ends it all or begins it all. It's the tomato and the egg. But they might want to hide because Monsieur Flambe is coming. You don't want to see him, the guy with the horrid burns and the smoke, or Wrenchy, or Axie, or Cheney. They came from the real world, Tandy explains. Ivan's been in this catatonic state for eight years. Before this, this is all he's ever been. They ask him to remember his daughter, Mina. He doesn't have a daughter, although he always wanted one. She's finishing your work in the real world with my dad, Bowen. You know that name. Oh, he's the mean guy on the phone. We get a, a flashback to the call that uh, Nathan uh, took in the car before the explosion. He was talking to Ivan. That guy's annoying, but she... Uh, Tandy answers the phone as we end the second act. We come back in with the phone call here. Uh, what is Tandy doing on the rig? Uh, Tyrone is trying to get her attention as she talks. She misses him, and then we get the explosion. And back again to the loop we go. Tyrone explains they can't get sidelined. They need to shut off the valves. They need to get everyone out. Absolutely says Tandy, eventually. Ty's going to try to do it himself. He sees two workers, but he can't uh, tell what they're looking at. They're talking about how everything is heating up and the pressure is building, but nothing has changed. They need to get the mud man on the line. And then there's that same white flash. Suddenly, Sam's eyes are dark, and she infects the other man next to her. They see Ty 
a third man appears and Tyrone teleports. Tandy picks up the phone. She's speaking with her father, Nathan. Why is this a surprise? Because he sees her every day. Not anymore. What do you mean? And as Tyrone bites the terrors, we get this poignant phone call, uh, which ultimately culminates after Tyrone turns the valves and we get another flash. We're back to Hess with the cookie. Uh, Tyrone explains it didn't work. He got to the core. He hit the kill switch. It did not work. Um, Ivan says it's actually quite impressive, but he's going to be downstairs if you need him. Uh, he needs to go back to the real world. They all do. But Tandy wants to stay and talk to her dad. Uh, when they get out, Tyrone has been played a trick on here in that he sees the light coming from Ivan's chest, yet Tandy is still stuck in there. Such a good liar she is. Initially, he can't get back in, but then he does. He wants to know how long she's been in here. She knows Ivan, kind of, the cookie guy. His name's written all over those papers. But she now has the ability to throw her light daggers with impressive accuracy as she hits a terror square between the eyes. Where did she learn that? How long has she been there? She answers that question with a question of her own. What was his name again? Act four here. She's talking. Uh, Tandy is to her father. Ty hangs the phone up, wants her to snap out of it. She's just like Ivan here, but she says she's fine. They are stuck in the catatonic mind of a mudman. Yes, Matt, everything I said in that sentence is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does she remember? Uh, well, she kind of remembers bits and pieces. She had a horrible life. Nobody cared. She was homeless, aimless, fatherless, frivolous. She had one friend. She had no friends, actually. She played Tyrone. That's what she does, but not here. Here she has her stuff. And once everything resets, she'll have her dad, too. And we get the, uh, the next flash. Ivan is in this one. He explains that, oh, Tyrone is back. We get the sirens. Um, the phone rings again. And Tandy reveals she's counted at least 200 loops. She wants to hear her father's voice again. Same way he wants to, wants to hear his brother's voice again. Uh, Bobby? No, Billy. But that anger that he feels is the same anger she feels every day. And the lack of a real memory here makes it the most painful part. Uh, as she talks to this guy she used to know alongside her father. We get daggers between the two of them and disappearances. But the truth is Tandy pushes everybody away. She's a thief and a liar. Will she eventually tell her father over the phone she's even turned to drugs? They charge one another before another flash. Ivan is sensing aggression between the two of them. Tandy tells him to go home. He explains he would do the same thing if it were Billy, but he's worried if he leaves her there that she's going to become trapped. 
So he asks Tandy to ask something of Ivan that he wouldn't know. The question, who's in the backseat of the car? His answer, no one. And she cries because she's right there. No, you're not. And we flash into act five with exciting news, Matt. But it's not your favorite and mine, MLB Power Pros and your team, the Red Sox, scoring. No, the game is no longer tied. Where do you think this cookie came from after all? If that isn't a theological question, I don't know what is. But they explained to Ivan his daughter made that cookie. He just wants to watch the Red Sox finally win, but he has this responsibility as a father. His daughter needs him. The phone rings. She picks it up and then hangs it up. Mina made this in her Easy Bake Oven with her own special recipe with cardamom, that natural antidepressant, but she never got the chance to tell Ivan that. Where is she? They reveal that she, Mina, visits Ivan every day. He wants to see her, but he's trapped. Ty says that it is Ivan who must get to the core room, close those vows. It has to be him. It's his mind, but it's impossible. He's tried time and time again, but there are exactly two variables that haven't factored in yet. And Ivan explains that Tandy is indeed her father's daughter with an explosion. As they repeat yet again, they decide to get after it. It's not going to be a tie game forever. We have the fighting. They get to the switch. Ivan closes the valves. They are out. He awakes. He wants to know who they are and where his daughter is. We get the reunion between Mina and her father as Tandy watches on. Tyrone asks if she's okay. Mina has the cookie bag as she hugs her father. And what Tandy's father said about climbing the steps was right. He usually was. Ty arrives back home to his room, Tandy back to the church. She puts on her hoodie. Tyrone looks into a shoebox with photos and pulls a mini cassette player. Tandy blows candles out, but then her cell phone rings. It's Tyrone. He hopes it's not too late for a call. Totally is. How did he get this number? Well, he's not going to tell a con artist but he needed somebody to talk to. See, he found this old tape. His father gave them, he and his late brother Billy, this mini cassette to play around with. And why did he call? He wanted to press play. And we get the tape of Billy and Ty Ty in what we could say is his audition tape of the rap that ends with Franks and Beans, but he might want to put some of this stuff down on pen and paper. Tandy thinks he was actually pretty good, but Tyrone was terrible. He was six after all, but he hadn't met her yet. Play it again, Matt. Pete, that was a, a heart-wrenching review there. This is why my dad always said the Sox will never win the pennant. It's 
It's just that that sense of futility. Pete, what dark figures populate this uh, this unique presentation of an episode? Let's begin with Monsieur Flambe. Pete, Monsieur Flambe, what can be said that is not already captured by his name? He's a man. He is crispy. He is a product of uh, of Ivan's uh, mental state, Ivan's mental cage that he is in. And uh, Monsieur Flambe, we, we, we will talk about everything that there is to say about him. Have we done it already? I think we have. Next up, Matt, other than a burn victim, is your favorite and my favorite, Wrenchy. Pete, the thing about Wrenchy that you need to keep in mind is he's real handy with a wrench. And when you're on one of those big oil rigs, okay, I don't know if you're aware of it, Pete. I'm a, I'm a man of the world. I know things and stuff. To see a big oil rig wrench is to know a big oil rig wrench and to know that it can do some serious business. It can indeed, which is why we have the supporting character of Axie. Pete, my dear friend, Axie, uh, wields an ax. Is that also the lady one? Does she become, is that the lady? I'm not sure <laughs> who exactly is whom. Matt. I, I, I think Pete, we speak slightly here to a certain muddy nature of the narrative the um, mud man the mud man of sorts of sorts it, it, it's like a metaphorical it's like a metaphorical metaphor pete and um i mean we got cheney we got axie we got wrenchy we got monsieur flambe is there anything else to say about these dark figures the overall idea of these terrors the underlying idea which we're going to talk in our next segment that the fear is contagious seems to be hinting much more at what Tyrone taps into with his powers. But as presented in this episode, they are mere caricatures. Which I suppose on the one hand is the conceit. It is the construct of the episode, but I don't know that it, is a situation where the, the, this particular looping concept is perhaps maximized. Pete, let's go from dark figures to some light theories. Let's take our, our own uh, homemade cardamom cookies here. Take a moment to turn our frowns upside down. Mm, that feels better. Pete, <laughs> uh, I have a theory that I'd like to share with you, and it's one that I know we touched on a little bit last week, but this is an episode that really, I think, really opens... For the following possible discussion. Rocks on. Up to no good or really up to no good? Super really up to no good. Uh, we have this energy. These guys are attempting to tap into it. But what they needed to with these uh, shielding tiles uh, not delivered they don't have the tools necessary for the job. So no wonder it blew up in their face. And now Mina is trying to save the world uh, from Roxxon. It was perhaps a bit on the nose to get, you know, what? There's no heating tiles. There are none here. Were they ever ordered? 
I don't know. You have to talk to Order and Dave. Order and Dave, where are the heating tiles? They said not to have them. They rocks on? Yeah. Oh. It's kind of like, all right, we get it. We, we we saw the exposition in the last episode about Pete. This stuff burns. It burns hot. It burns hotter than love or oil. Um, I felt like the heating tiles were a bit... I felt, Pete, the lack of heating tiles kind of beat me over the head like a heating tile might <laughs> hit my head. Well, given the conceit of the time loop trope in this episode... I think that's kind of the point. We're in the mind of a victim, so it's slightly different, and the presentation comes across a little bit differently than some of the classic loop episodes we're going to talk about in a little bit in terms of genre TV. Um, But the stakes, Matt... This could be the end of everything because of this energy of all reality, time, space, everybody in a universe in which half of the life has recently been extinguished. Although perhaps not recently in what we are seeing uh, in Cloak and Dagger, my personal assumption being that all this takes place, at least all this thus far takes place before uh, Avengers Infinity War. But Point I think, of order? Uh, sure. If the snap occurred while um, Tyrone and Tandy were inside Ivan's head and Ivan was part of the half that disappeared, would they disappear? I think so, because we saw a little sliver of that in when Tyrone left. Tyrone was inside Ivan, then left Ivan, but Tandy was still inside Ivan. Um, And Tyrone found that he could not communicate to Tandy. I would read that perhaps at least on some kind of philosophical, I don't know, neurological level, but on some kind of philosophical level, her consciousness was in Ivan's brain or something something of that sort. So I think that, yeah, if that connection was severed, like I imagine other scenarios where Tyrone can't unlink Tandy, well, now it's, you know, a room for two comatose people kind of thing. But if um, the man they were doing the Wonder Twin Powers Activate mind meld with suddenly disappeared at the end of that, wouldn't they just suddenly be standing there? Um... Yes, but where is their consciousness? Was it in his brain? I mean, I mean, it's kind of unanswerable in that we don't know the exact, again, metaphysical slash neurological nature of it. But I felt like there was this connection that, I mean, leave it this way, Pete. The story does not suggest that for Tyrone to, to collect Tandy when she does not leave, that he could just simply pull her hand off of him. Now, perhaps that's Tyrone's ignorance or perhaps that's a weakness in the writing, but given that the story did not offer that as a suggestion, I will infer that Tyrone knew you can't do that because of reasons that Tyrone and Tandy know about. Uh, perhaps shame on the story for not having some kind of exposition prior to this to say, man, you can't just suddenly disconnect because, oh, it, the, the brain, it hurts. But Pete, I want to dial back for one second here with this notion that this could be an all-answerable energy i want to talk about some story energy 
Um, it's It appears to me, particularly since we're talking light theories here, now that Ivan is back in the real world or the MCU world, whatever you want to call it, he now gives... He now gives juice to the story. He, Pete, he gives his own fuel, his own heat to the story to be an exit strategy for episodes 8, 9, and 10 because he now knows all and sees all and he can testify and be called before Congress and whatever else to talk about how bad Roxxon is. So uh, while on the one hand, I know we need to have an exit for this conflict as we do for every story, I kind of call slight story shenanigans that the thing which probably will propel us to the end of the season, which is Ivan Hess and all the stuff in his brain, that he was in a coma. Okay, fine. And the way out of the coma was for him and was for Tyrone and Tandy. Fine. The stars of the show. Willful suspension with you there so far. But for them to go back in Ivan's memory over the specific stuff that Tandy needs to know about like right now and when they solve that and when he can get himself out of the thing uh, in the, the core room that also is her sense of closure she brings a, a father back to a daughter it also starts a final lap for the story to start to have closure wait 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 are you suggesting that a show that repeats a time loop that is a bottle episode in some way of a 10 episode run sets up the final act. That is precisely what I am uh, suggesting. Well, given that this episode is titled Lotus eaters, Matt Lotus eaters, they of the odyssey from your classic Greek epic, they were the characters on the beach there that Odysseus warned his men not to go and hang out with and to eat the lotus plants because it would make them forget their hope of home. They, of course, ate it, and suddenly all they wanted to do was sit like dirty hippies and eat a flower and never return to Greece. So... Odysseus, being the leader that he was, had to grab them and tie them to his mast, and they wept as they left the land of the Lotus Eaters uh, because they wanted the plant. They wanted that idyllic situation so badly, so much so it made them forget what really mattered. Here in this episode, Tyrone is Odysseus. Pete, that is a great bit of literary legwork there. And uh, clearly Tyrone here, the Odysseus, the Ulysses, taking not just uh, not just one, but two members of the crew, so to speak, that of Ivan Hess and, of course, his, uh, his counterpart in Tandy, and uh, pulling them through to get them back to uh, get them back to the Port Oak Hall that is Port New Orleans. Have we finally gotten some answers as to the nature of Tyrone's powers or was this episode story dependent? Um, nope. We did not get much other than, guess what? He has control over it now because... And also, uh, Pete, we got answers to big questions like, 
what caused Mina's father to get injured. Uh, Pete, it was the explosion of the oil rig that we saw in the first episode. Who did it, Pete? Uh, it was Roxon because they're terrible, like they've been in the first episode, even excluding the fact that they have a genuine, uh, generally lousy reputation. Oh, but didn't we learn important things like the the super oil done did it? Uh, nope, that got covered last episode too. So Pete, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, not only is this a bottle episode, which there are some good bottle episodes, there's some bad bottle episodes. I would say this is a bottle episode that gives us neither breadth nor depth when it comes to the characters and the plot. I can't disagree with anything you've said there. Pete, let's make some mystical connections with the people out there. Uh, and I put forth a, uh, a question on Twitter in part because you made a comment that had me kind of hitting myself in the forehead, uh, not through any fault of your own, but you pointed out this is a similar structure to Star Trek Discovery's uh, episode with the Gormagander, the episode entitled, Pete? Magic to make the sanest man go mad. Uh, in which we had a time loop. So I put out on Twitter... Um, what are some TV episodes that have a time loop? And Pete, in the last hour, the responses have been Buffy, Charmed, All Four Seasons of Twelve Monkeys, Timeless Continuum, uh, the Star Trek Next Generation one, where, whereas uh, somebody else says where Kelsey Grammer was a captain at the end, uh, Stargate Cause and Effect, it's called Cause and Effect, of course, uh, Stargate, uh, Agents of Shield season five, Blind Spot, Community, True Calling. And I think that's it for the list. So I just mention it because I don't want to say that I don't want to go so far as to say this was unoriginal because other people have done it first. Well, was Community's Darkest Timeline unoriginal because Blind Spot had one air a month before and Star Trek Next Generation did one 10 years earlier? No, I think this is just a story conceit that you see from time to time. I just don't think that it was a home run execution of it in part, because as I said before, we don't learn anything new about anybody. I mean, of course, Tandy is drawn to being able to talk to her quote unquote father. She lost him when she was this young tender age and he's gone forever and all that. We, we get pacing back and forth over old story stuff in a new location. Yeah. I have to admit for, my excitement of the setup. Oh, we're going to see the events of the explosion here to play it over and over and over again. And to know that that's largely not what happened on the rig. It's that certain point of view type of thing to find out, like you said, Ooh, Roxon is bad. Ooh, Ivan knows things and now is conscious and can reveal those things, but nothing happened in this story. It was more emotion than there was exposition. than there was narration in terms of storytelling going forward. And you know what? Occasionally you're going to have that. This is one that is better conceptually than it is in practicality. Here's a question for you, Pete. Uh, what, let's start with this. What time, do you have a reading on what time of year it was when young Mina was doing her baking and sending her father off with a, with a cookie to have it work? None. Okay. Which I think is fair. I mean, you know, it's New Orleans. It's not like there was snow or there was lack of snow. Okay, fine. Um, do you have a sense of time of day that 
she packed him uh, a, a meal before or packed him a snack as he was leaving for work and it was light outside. What time of day do you suppose that was? Morning-ish? He gets, oh, let's go with that for a second. He gets to the rig. It's how, still light out. Or it's still light out. Um, and then Where's how long, storm? <laughs> how long do you think he's on the rig? Like, cause as I recall, he gets there. What? No heat shields. What? No heat shields. What? No heat shields. Clacks on, clacks on. What time of day was the explosion? Well, we're leaving out the storm, the night coming, the storm coming, and then the explosion. Um, so yeah, they might want to check with the continuity lady uh and figure out what's what because it seemed like the writers of this episode didn't consult the series bible now if you want to say that fine he was trapped there because of the storm okay should i ask like does mina have a mom who's caring for this girl who's probably too young to be home alone like these are all kind of ancillary questions which i grant you were are not that connected to the importance of the plot, but could be solved by, hey, sweetie kins, I'm working the night shift. You have your key, right? Or grandma will be over soon, or your mom will be home in 20 minutes. Like any one of those gives a solution and it takes five seconds of dialogue to solve it. I, again, cannot disagree with anything that you're saying there. Um, Compelling emotionally, not so compelling from an answer and or story perspective. What other mystical connections do we have, Pete? We have a review left for us on iTunes uh, by apt342. The headline is Cloak and Dagger, five stars, and it reads, Just stumbled on the show on Hulu. Listen to the first episode of several C and D podcasts, and this was the best. So I will stay with you for the duration of the series. Well done, gentlemen. I wouldn't call myself a Marvel fanatic, and they spelled it with a PH there, Matt, so they know what's what. Absolutely. But I do enjoy this show, and I need help understanding details that I may have missed. Looking forward to what's to come. You, the person, apt342. Thank you for those kind words. And, you know, part of what's fun about the podcast game is you don't need to win your time slot. You don't need to be number one. If you want to listen to every Cloak & Dagger podcast out there every single week, you can do that. But to know that uh, to know that we've been chosen by that listener as the one and only after taking a broad sampling, Pete, that that's ca extra cardamom in my cookie. It is, and it's that same type of choice, Matt, that makes the people that go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and decide to contribute that much more integral to what we do day in, day out, week in, week out here at Fantastic Geek. Much like Ivan Hess had to deal with content that was too hot to handle. Sometimes, <laughs> Pete, these mics are spitting fire. Sometimes we're laying down to our to our podcast uh, data storage and bandwidth provider. Sometimes it's so hot, it strains that. But you know what? We're paying that bill every month. It's getting paid in part by the support of listeners like you, which I know is cliche. It's a PBS cliche, but you know what? It's also true 
it is the people go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek that help help make sure that the, the oil rig doesn't blow up and that that con sweet sweet content keeps flowing week after week so big thanks there pete the best gift not just a patreon maybe the best gift on twitter is being able to talk to you on twitter how can people do so you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. Need a little bit of help because the great Twitter purge cost me over 100 followers. And I went from fake followers, right? Fake, fake bot followers, followers. Bot followers, who, whoever was following me that jumped on there that doesn't really exist or Thanos snapped them away. Who knows? Okay, but I dipped below 10,000, which I had crossed last month. So uh, help me get back over 10,000 there. I know you're going to want to be there. Pete, I, of course, can be found on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, but we love hearing listener feedback about all this that we do, all this that we podcast. You can leave a comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram. We are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, for those listening on the Cloak and Dagger feed, we'll be back next Friday to talk episode 108. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, my goodness, Pete, it's the final three for Luke Cage. Uh, Then we'll do a series wrap there. Then uh, some other stuff after that that we're not going to talk about quite yet, but some good stuff ahead uh, closer to the end of July. With that, Pete... I will say she's going to blow to all our listeners and give you the final word. French is funny. We? We! We!